was just listening when um, J.O. shared and thinking about the fact that uh, my friend Chuck Solomon's in the room today. Dr. Solomon, it's good to have you and Kathy with us. These guys are heroes of the faith. And I see Mo, I see others. I can't even begin to talk about uh, the impact that some of you've had in our lives and the influence through the generation uh, that has continued to be faithful and walk with the Lord. And then when I hear you guys, the Catalyst Band, um, even with an old drummer, uh, it's good to see you, Chuck. And uh, just what God is doing through you, and I absolutely love what you bring to the table. I love what God's doing in worship music and just the things that are happening. And I realize this this multi-generational movement of the Spirit. And uh, we're different and alike in a lot of ways. Uh, but this one thing that we have in common in Jesus is just as beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And I just love that. Love being a part of this fellowship. And I want to thank you guys um, for leading us in worship and uh, for just touching my heart and uh, I know a lot of others. We are, if you're a guest, we're in like the third week of a series, and it's called Saved and Set Free. And we call it saved. Most of us get that. It's a theological word, actually. It's a good word. It's a solid word uh, that describes the condition we're in spiritually when we've received Christ, that we're saved. However, not a, a lot of Christians are also set free. I know Christians who live in bondage and some who don't really understand what it means to live in the liberty of Jesus and what that is. So that's how this series was born, to talk about not only how can I be saved from shame and sin and guilt and myself, (laughs) and how can I be set free? So that's what this series is all about, and um, we're kind of enjoying that. Now, I realized on the way here today that I look sort of like the guide at Safari Land in Disney. You know, I just, I realized, I just thought, wow, I'd really look kind of like Jungle Jim. But, um, and by the way, I would be, if you have a birthday party or a wedding theme that revolves around like a zoo kind of idea, I'm your guy. Call me, I'll come over and, and uh, it'll be lots of fun. So uh, that's, I'll just stand behind this table. Here's the thing about this series Uh, In our first session together, we identified God's original design for humanity, that there was purpose and rhythm, there was a grace and a beauty and a meaning, and and it made sense, a significance uh, to life. And then we looked at what we lost at the fall, and it was tremendous, it was tremendous, maybe more than and then you thought we lost our identity, we lost our intimacy uh, with the Lord. Then on our second session, we identified two fundamental principles of Christian living. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, first of all, we talked about how God works through a divine human cooperation in his sovereignty, in his sovereignty. So, You Calvinists hang in there with me. Through his sovereignty, uh, there is a human and divine cooperation. God does what only God can do. And then he gives us this choice, this choice that some of you have been making from as far back as you can remember. 
You know, I, I really don't want God in my life. I just, I'd rather not do that. I just choose. And you want that choice. You want that ability to be able to say yes or no. And all the consequences that come with that, that's where Adam and Eve were. And they made that choice. No, we want to be independent. We want to try this on our own. What if God's holding back on us? What if there's something we don't know or we don't have? We'd kind of like to be on our own. And that's the choice uh, that we make. So we talked about that cooperation. And then we talked about the other part of that is that we need to participate in a spiritual transaction on a regular basis because that's what testament, that's what covenant, that's what it really means. And that transformation is only made through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. Jesus is the first and the only hybrid His DNA was uniquely human through Mary, but uniquely divine through his father, God. And so for the very first time, we saw God with a solution that was absolutely incredible. And no one would ever think about it. Even when they uh, studied and prophesied about Messiah, they couldn't wrap their minds around this idea of who Jesus would be and how God would love us and express himself to us. And through that human divine cooperative effort in this spiritual transaction, we have what we said Hudson Taylor described as an exchanged life, what Watchman Nee called the normal Christian life. That connection that was lost, that intimacy and that identity has been restored through Jesus. So that's where we are. That brings you up to speed uh, for today's uh, message. And here's the big idea that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. Our world has two realms. We live in a world that has two realms. There's the natural realm and there's the spiritual realm. There is the visible world that we're all mostly familiar with. It's so obvious because it comes in through our senses. But then there's the invisible world that some people are totally unaware of or choose to ignore. Both realms interact with one another and overlap and influence each other on a daily basis. I tried to think through some of the passages that would kind of give life to that and to make it more obvious than others. And I came up with two that I think is going to help you get behind the scenes and to understand a little better about this natural world and this spiritual world that we live in every day. The first is in the book of Job in chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 13. And some of you are familiar, even if you didn't grow up in church or maybe you don't attend regularly and you think, yeah, but I heard about this guy. I know this story. It says this. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the surveillance fell upon them and took them and struck down your servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, 
Yet another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And believe it or not, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Now look at chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Seriously, Job, curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we, and this is a profound thing that Job said, shall we receive good from the Lord? And shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And keep in mind, Job had no idea that there's anything else going on except I'm having a really, really awful, terrible, bad day. If we look at Job's situation, that we're one thing after the other, and maybe you hadn't had something like that happen, but you've had days like that, right? Where you just couldn't believe it, you're late and you go out and, and, and then your, your tire's flat and you think, oh great, and you go back in and then this happens and that happens and then you get there and oh, the test isn't tomorrow, it's today. And you know, you, you have those kind of days. Job's, ha- Job's having a day. I mean, he, this guy's having a day. And if you look at that through the lens of the natural realm and that's all you can see, we would probably give Job advice uh, and it wouldn't be a bad thing, but you know, it would just be a natural thing that pertained to natural things. Job, you need a financial advisor. You need a grief counselor. You need marriage counseling. You need some antidepressants. You need a really good lawyer. You need a doctor. You look terrible. What is that all over your skin? You need a dermatologist. You know, we would, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. But you get it that that's our go-to sometimes because that's just natural. That's a natural world. And we've known about that since we was babies. So that's kind of what the people around Job, including his own wife, uh, did. Because they couldn't see anything beyond that. But I want you to see and get a glimpse that there was something else happening. And it'll make more sense and it'll enhance our understanding of Job and and his situation, if we go back and look at Job chapter 1, verse 6. Check this out. This is crazy. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, 
from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth. And at this point, because I know the rest of the story, I think, oh, Lord, don't ever bring up my name in conversation. You know, just leave me out of this. Talk about something. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. You know about Job? Guy's amazing. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased the land. Well, duh, of course he likes you. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Job has no idea that God just gave Satan a blank check. He said, you can do everything you want to do. Do whatever you want to do with this guy. I'm going to show you who he really is. And you can't kill him. Don't kill him, but you can do whatever else you want to do. A blank check. I just think, oh, Lord, don't know. Can you imagine that? Now look at chapter 2. Verse 1, again, there was a day when the sons of man came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came to them to present himself before the Lord. Do you see how Satan is still accountable to God? And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered to the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down it. And he said, if you consider my servant Job, there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. I think, well, you brought his name up, you know. Uh, but then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man... And have you ever used that phrase, that cliche? You got it from the devil, okay. Uh, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and touch his flesh. I mean, he's grieving because of all these losses. But at this point, there's nothing physical. Job himself wasn't feeling this. And he says, you do that, he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. So Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord. And Satan struck Job with these loathsome sores and all of these issues. Do you see that it was a spiritual event? That there were two things happening at the same time? Kathy and I went to Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. That's where I got my master's degree. And they, uh, all the students were so poor and they would have these big sales, kind of like a yard sale or garage sale. All the people, particularly a lot of folks from Bellevue Baptist Church, uh, which we kind of met right there next to their campus. And they would give us things. And they would give us this uh, 
this play money and let us spend it so everybody it was fair for everybody. And we'd go in on an evening in the gym, and they had all these things we could buy. Well, Kathy and I wanted to get a television. We had had this television that was made out of metal, and no kidding. I think her parents gave it to us, and it had the remote we called a clicker. It had three buttons. It's all you needed, um, and but you wanted to use that if you could because when you touch the TV, it would shock you. So, and then, no kidding, we'll just change the channel. No, let's watch this uh, because we didn't want to go through that all the time, and there weren't there wasn't that much on anyway. But so we found this television that was there at this sale. I know this sounds pathetic. I know some of you are thinking, oh, you know, and it, it, we really were, oh, kind of people. But um, so we got this TV and it was made of wood and it was really nice, you know, and I think it was a color television. It was just so great. Uh, the only thing is it didn't have the, the, the clicker, the knob that you change channels with. So it was stuck on this one channel. We don't want to watch one channels when we could get three. <laughs> it was a wonderful thing. So to get those other two channels, we would take a pair of pliers and we would change the channel with that. And that's, we lived like that. And some of you think they were so primitive. He lived like he's older than J.O. He just, oh, I can't believe they live like that. We did. And we didn't know that we weren't to be content. We didn't know any better. Well, fast forward to today. Our television is on our wall, you know, and it's not the latest and greatest, but it's about that thin and it's really cool. We have remotes somewhere in our house. I have no idea where they are. Um, they're always lost, uh, but we've got lots and lots of channels, about 200 channels, and they're in HD, and it's just amazing. And, you know, there's one of the things about technology that we have is PIP. You know what I'm talking about? Picture in picture. And it's not even new. It's been out for years. So what you can do is you, you can be watching one thing, but if the game's on or something else that you're interested in is on, you can bring that up within that picture so you can see both things. <gasps> That's pretty cool to a guy like me. You know, and you think, wow, you know, you can switch back and forth, make one big and one little, and it, but they're both there. And it gives you this awareness that there's a lot of things happening that you don't see. But with that technology, we've gotten used to the idea that you can see two channels at one time. You think, Dan, that's really not that big a deal because it's familiar to you. Now, I want you to take that idea and apply it to these two realms. There's a natural world and there's a spiritual world. And they're both happening and they're both active right now. But because you don't have picture in picture and you can't see it and it's not familiar, it sounds a little strange when I talk about it. So I hope that technology helps you to understand that if we were to be enabled somehow to be able to look through two lenses simultaneously, we could see what was happening. I wear prescription lenses, and I have since about sixth grade, and I don't like it. I've gone back and forth. I've done Lasix, and I've done contact lens, and I'm and right now, my, my prescription is so weird that I've got to wear glasses, you know. And, and the, the cool thing, because I'm, I'm getting to be kind of, you know, advanced in, in years, mature, 
That's what my eye doctor said, Alan Hillebrand said, well, your, has your eyes have matured? And I said, oh, that's such a, such a polite way to say this. The bottom of my lens, I see things close up. They're blended, you know, the, the lens. So that's like a bifocal. And then there's, I, I have, um, you know, an issue. I can't see at a distance. I can't see at night. I can't see around corners. I can't see anything. So when I wear these, all of a sudden, boom, I can see close up. I can read this scripture. I can see you on the back row. I can see. You see, what I'm doing is I'm looking through these lens, and that has changed my vision. That's changed my perspective. What God wants is for you to be able to look through the lens of scripture filled with the Holy Spirit and to be able to discern and to understand that it's not just a physical world. It's not just natural. Job 1 and 2 tells us that the spiritual realm affected Job's physical realm. His circumstances were directly impacted because there's something going on in the spiritual world that has direct consequences in the visible physical world. Job was completely unaware of that. His health, the people around him, his relationship with his wife, his losses. He didn't know why these things were happening. Now, within that, one of the beautiful things I love about Job is he continued to worship God and trust him. You know, we talked a few Wednesday nights ago in cafe about is it appropriate when or if is it ever appropriate to be mad at God? I would think if somebody had that, that place, it would be Job. Because I think, can you, can you imagine him talking about this when people are going, oh, yeah, I had this happen today. I wrecked my chariot. And Job's like, yeah. I mean, he could just one up you. Whatever you said, Job's got, you know, you're having a bad day. Yeah, I'm having a bad day. Some of my crops didn't work. Job would be like, no kidding. Let me tell you about my day. You know, I mean, it was just, just awful. I was having breakfast yesterday with some of our college students, and there's a young lady who shared with me that she had been really stressed recently and under a lot of pressure, and that pressure began to affect her spiritually. She said, I noticed that my eating was off and that my stomach got upset and I couldn't sleep at night. I'd wake up and I, and I would maybe think about some of these things. And she said, all, all of this was happening. And she said, within that, I began to feel sad. I began to feel depressed. And she said, it was then that I started to discern this is not just academic or emotional or circumstantial or even now physical with the symptoms. She said, I began to discern this is spiritual. I am engaged in a spiritual battle. And she said, and I changed my tactics instead of trying to get more sleep or trying to get this project done or this paper written and thinking that's going to... She goes, I still feel this sense of attack. She goes, I changed my tactics and went back and I just began to pray and began to seek the Lord and began to worship and began to read scripture. And she said, something began to happen so that my mind could be clear and that my heart was open and I felt refreshed and out from it. And she said, and my mood began to lift and to change and the depression began to go away because she discerned there's something happening in the spiritual world that was affecting 
supernatural world. There's this interrelationship of these two realms. Now, the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, Paul mentions the word heavenlies five times. That's pretty significant. And you see it in other places, and you see reference to this, but I I focus on that. You can read it later this week. But what does Paul mean by the heavenlies? What are the heavenlies? Well, the heavenlies, it's not a place. You see, I think so geographically about stuff, don't you? I mean, I think, yeah, well, where is heaven? And whenever I see those big pictures, you know, those universe um, photos, they're just absolutely incredible and amazing. And I'm always looking like, there's, look, what is that little dot? I think that's heaven. I think that's where it is. It's out there near Pluto somewhere. And I don't think it's necessarily geographic like that as much as it is a better translation instead of place. And my Bible says place would be the word realm, realm. These are not two isolated worlds. They overlap. So what's in these heavenlies? Angels, demons, God the Father, curses, blessings, all this spiritual activity and so on. That's all happening around us in this heavenly realm. Now, where is the heavenly realm located? I have absolutely no idea, (laughs) but I think it's all around us. And I think it's everywhere. It's actually an adjective. Um, Eponanos is, is the word which means a sphere of spiritual activity and reality. And I think when Christ came into my life, It even moved inside of me, the physical me, within my cerebral cortex. There is a spiritual thing that's happening and a reality that lives uh, within me. And did you know that you will spend most of your life not in the earthly or the natural realm, but in the heavenly realm? You'll only be here 70, 80, 90, 100, 110. I mean, you're going to max out somewhere right there, uh, and you're just in your very best health. You're not going to get much past that. That's just a fraction of the time you're going to spend in eternity in the heavenly realms. So this is just ridiculous to think that this would be our focus. Now, if we could have our eyes opened... I think about Elisha and Gehazi. You may not know who those were. There are a couple of guys. One's a prophet and one was his valet. <laughs> one was his guy. It was like Batman and Robin. Uh, he, they, were, they were together. And uh, it's this, this story you can read uh, sometime at your leisure in Second Kings chapter uh, 6. Uh, the king... Uh, of the Syrians was really kind of anxious to get Elisha. And he was kind of, so he sent uh, into Samaria, he sent the, this army and while they're asleep, he surrounds them. And this guy comes out the next morning, he's doing things, he looks up and he goes, oh no, we are surrounded and they're going to take us back and they're going to torture us, they're going to kill, what, who knows what they're going to do to us. So he runs in, he tells Elijah and Elijah comes out and, and this guy's just terrified. He's absolutely, I mean, just freaking out about it and he just knows what's coming. So Elijah prays this prayer and he says, Lord, I ask that the eyes of his heart, the eyes of his spirit would be opened 
just give him a glimpse from the natural world into the spiritual world, from earth to the heavenlies. And so God opens Gehazi's eyes, and he said he looked around him, and he saw all these chariots of fire and this great host of this army of the Lord. And Elijah's standing there. Prophets are always a little full of them. So, you know, they're always kind of like, yeah, check it out. I see stuff like this all the time, you know. And he's like, I couldn't believe this. Look at this. And he goes, yeah, I just wanted you to see that greater is he who is with us than those who are against us. We outnumber them. Now he could open his eyes and all around him, he could see these spiritual beings that were there. How about that? In Daniel chapter 10, an angel visits Daniel. Daniel's reading through uh, one of the books of the prophets, Jeremiah. And he gets this place and he says, I can't understand this, but I sense that I really, really, really need to know what's going on and what's happening about that. And he begins to pray and he begins to pray about this. So as he's waiting for the answer, answer, one week goes by and then another week goes by and then another week, three weeks go by and he's not being answered. And I want you to see what happens in Daniel chapter 10. Verse 10, we're going to pick up in the story right there. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. I love knowing that the minute I start praying, God hears me. Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, I want you to listen to this next part. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And he goes on and he describes this situation. The angel was delayed for 21 days because he is engaged in this battle with a demonic being who has been given the oversight of Persia which is one of the reasons that we think that demonic influence is somehow maybe territorial, uh, maybe not. But in this passage, it seems to indicate that he had authority in this area. And he was engaged in this battle. Look at the last chapter of chapter 10. He said, but I tell you the truth, what is... um, Yeah, I think I'm at the right place. But I tell you the truth, what is inscribed in the book of truth, there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. I believe there's only a couple of angels, Gabriel and Michael, who are mentioned that they have names, they have names. Uh, but they, he, he says, this is what was happening. The spiritual realm affects your life and my life. It affects families and marriages and churches and nations. I mean, you name it. 
and what appears to be merely physical or circumstantial or emotional is oftentimes more than that. There's something spiritual that's going on. Here are a few questions I just want to ask you regarding your circumstances. Is this difficult situation just happening? Is my bad mood just happening? Is my strained marriage just happening? Is oppressed corporate worship due merely just to my mood or the weather or what season it is? Does selfishness and stinginess and lying and deceiving occur for no reason? Is a persistent lack of joy and zeal due merely to personality? Do bigotry, prejudice, ethnic cleansings, those things just happen? Do wars just happen? Is violence just uh, something that happens? We are in a war zone and we can't escape it. And there are many people who aren't doing well in the war because they don't know Jesus yet. And there are a lot of dysfunctional lives and crimes and addictions and conflict and broken relationships I think are due because of spiritual causes. And some of us as Christians aren't doing real well in this war either because we don't recognize that there's one world with two realms. For those of you who were here a couple of weeks ago, you know, I mentioned the fact that for a long time, like Socrates and Aristotle, they would say man is body and soul and body and soul and body and soul. And they held to this dichotomous view of our identity, not understanding and perceiving that we're also spiritual, that we're a trichotomy, that there is a part of us that went dormant, that literally died way back in the garden. And that when Jesus comes in, he reanimates that. He resurrects that. He brings us back to life so that we're body, soul, and spirit. And they're uniquely connected in this profound way. But you are a spiritually created being. And we kind of get that. Now, in the same way, we live in not just emotional, mental, you know, uh, that kind of a world or a physical world, we live in a spiritual world. And within that, if we don't embrace a biblical worldview, we'll be destroyed. The enemy wants to devastate your life. He wants to ruin God's plan. That's why you look around and you see so much brokenness. So we need to understand, now how does the world operate? So we can live back to God's original design. Now there's a lot of activity in the heavenly realm that we don't see or we don't pay much attention to because we're not discerning. God has given us spiritual gifts and capabilities 
the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us discern what's really going on in the heavenly realm. How to discern if something is from the Lord. How to test the spirits. How to, how to get like a word of wisdom or, or insight into a situation. Hebrews 5.14 promises us there is power of discernment and it comes about through training and through practice. Just like your golf swing, just like your dance moves, just like all the other things. You think I've got this natural ability, but it needs to be trained. It needs to be developed. So when you experience opposition or trouble and these problems, do you ever think, God, what's going on here? Is this just hormones (laughs) or is this spiritual? Is this just economics or is it spiritual? What's really going on behind the scenes? And we're tempted to believe all kinds of things. And oftentimes lies. Do you really believe? And I I can tell some of you probably maybe you're thinking, so is this guy telling me that everything's spiritual and there's a demon behind every bush and there's a devil up in every tree? And, you know, and I can, do you ever see those movies or read those books? Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of the author's name. Frank Peretti. Do you remember, did anybody ever read The Spiritual Darkness? Oh my goodness, the first time I read that, I'm walking around like this every day thinking, I think it was a demon, I'm pretty sure. I need to go down in the basement and get something. I'm not going down there. Pretty sure there's more demons in the basement than there are up here in the kitchen. You know, I mean, you just kind of get in that thing. And I'm not going weird on you. I want you to know. I'm not going to go, whoo, and be real fanatical. I don't think there's a demon behind every bush or in every tree or in my basement. But I do believe in them. And I believe they're here. And I believe they are actively involved in trying to destroy your life. And if you ignore them and pretend they're not there or that they don't exist, you play right into, I think, the strategy that the enemy has. Because Satan minimizes the reality of his experience so that he can have greater freedom to do if we don't think he's there. I mean, can you imagine a nation engaged in war that totally ignored surveillance and intelligence? North Korea shot off a missile this week, and we were able to tell that it failed because of our intelligence and because of our surveillance capabilities. Where would we be in the 21st century if we couldn't do that? Blind to the movements of the enemy, we wouldn't have a realistic chance of winning the war. Satan wants to stay unaware. So this is not just primitive or superstitious. In Acts chapter 5, Peter asked Ananias and Sapphira, why has Satan filled your heart to lie against the Holy Spirit? They didn't act merely on their own intuition. They were deceived. And we need to realize that there are demonic influences trying to keep us from God's design. We live in both realms. Now, we must also realize that we have this great privilege of living in both realms with the power of the Holy Spirit. Freedom is possible. Now, in order to live free and to continue in Christ's ministry, we need to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 is probably a verse many of you recognize. It says this, Not be drunk with wine, which will ruin you, 
How many people have you known been ruined by chemicals? Uh, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's written and not as an option, it's a command. It's written in the imperative. Be filled, be continuously being filled. We have this daily responsibility to be controlled by the Spirit. It shouldn't be occasional. It shouldn't be sporadic. In Acts 4, God's Spirit gave Peter and John special power to answer the religious leaders. He filled them with their spirit. I've experienced that. There's moments where I think, I don't know what to say, and I don't know how to say it, and all of a sudden the words begin to come, and I think, where did I get that, and where did that come from? From the Spirit. God will enable you in particular moments to minister to others in ways you didn't realize you'd be able to or to give you what you need in a challenging moment or a situation. But we need his infilling for personal encouragement and refreshing. Have you ever been so discouraged or in a place and, and all of a sudden you can just sense a filling or a presence of the Lord when you, when you feel all alone in the world and yet you just sense that Jesus is there with you? I want to ask you a question, and we don't seek experiences. We just seek Jesus. And there was a time in my Christian life when it was all about the manifestations. And, you know, I would pray, and I'd go off, and I'd say, oh, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit and do something. And I kind of wanted some fireworks, you know. I wanted, to, I wanted something. I wanted a buzz. I kind of wanted to, you know, maybe see a miracle or two, just something minor would be fine. And the, and the Lord began to teach me and speak to my heart, stop seeking the experience and the manifestation and just seek Jesus. Just seek Jesus and those things will come. So I changed the direction the way I live. So I, I want to kind of conclude and pull this together with asking you a question. And I, I'll just be real honest with you. I hope this question haunts you for the rest of the day, maybe for the rest of the week. Because I'll mention the four R's again in just a moment. You know how I always say it starts with repentance? You're never going to go past that. You're never going to jump over that. It starts there. So here's the question. Is there anything in your life that keeps you from living in the fullness of God's power? Is there anything... It's one thing to have to battle Satan and to be strategic. It's a whole other thing when you open a window to him or a door and allow him a place to harass you. Is there anything in your life that you're allowing, that you're permitting, that keeps you from living in the fullness of God's spirit? Colossians 2.6 is this powerful little scripture and it says, as you have received the Lord Jesus, as you have received Christ Jesus, and that's an arrowist tense. You did it at one time in your life. You made that decision. And last week we, we, we read a prayer that I wrote out that says here's how you can initiate that relationship. So at one time in your life, uh, arrowist tense, in, in a point in time, you made that decision. He says as you did that, so walk in present active imperative so walk in him 
133 times in the New Testament, in Christ, in him. That's how we live our life. That's the realm we live in is in Jesus. Not in my flesh anymore, but in him. That's the secret. That's the key to victory. It's in Christ. And he says you do this on and on and on. And it's written in the imperative tense because if you don't do it, your life's not going to work. Now, every week I've mentioned the four R's in this series, and so I'm going to kind of land there today because I want you to keep these four R's in mind. Repent, to resist the devil. Remember, don't ignore him. He's not going anywhere if you just ignore him. You've got to actually be resisting him. Replace your former way of life with God's way. We live differently now. And then receive the infilling of God's spirit. That is a victorious life. Would you stand please? And we want to worship with this one other song. Uh, But I want you to let that question that I ask um, push its way down into your heart and to your soul and give a good, honest answer. And then you make the decision, what am I going to do next? What's the action point? Where do I go from here? God bless you in Jesus' name.